There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. The scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religious life. As long as there is injustice in the world, someone has to stand up for those in need. On November 21st, 2014, a man died a peaceful death free from the confines of prison, all because a group of people were willing to fight for him. So if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Rupert Maxwell Stewart was born in a government settlement sometime in 1932 that housed the Alice Springs indigenous population in Australia. Legally, Rupert was known as a half-caste, meaning one of his great-grandfathers were white station owners, while his grandfather on his father's side was a fully initiated Arunta and leader of a Totemic clan. Rupert himself was fully initiated, something rare for an indigenous Australian working with white people in the 1950s. Despite working so closely with the white population, Rupert refused to receive a Western education or learn of Western religion. He was proud of where he came from and wanted to maintain his roots. By age 11, he had left home to work as a stockman around Alice Springs and, as a teen, became a bare-knuckle boxer to try and earn some extra cash. In late 1957, Rupert was arrested and convicted of indecent assault on a sleeping nine-year-old girl in Cloncurry, Queensland. He admitted to police that, while he knew what he did was wrong, he didn't know any women his age who would give him the time of day. At this point, he was pretty deep into his alcoholism and stated that when he drank, he had no control over his urges. I could not find any information on how much time he served, if any, but by 1958, he was working with a traveling sideshow working all around Australia, which is how he ended up in the South Australian town of Seduna, where on December 20th, 1958, nine-year-old Mary Olive Haddam went missing. She was playing on the beach between Seduna and Thevinard with her brother Peter and another friend. The two boys left to collect a tub to use as a boat, but got distracted and failed to return, leaving Mary at the beach alone. Her father came back from fishing about an hour later, but could not find his little girl anywhere. He called for the neighbors to come help search, but as evening fell, no one found any signs of Mary Haddam. Needing more help, a man named Roger Cardwell alerted both the police and a group of Seduna citizens who were watching a movie in the local memorial hall. The search continued until, around 12.30 a.m., Mary's body was found near a small cave. She had been raped, mutilated, and murdered sometime between when her brother left the beach at 2.30 and 8 p.m. At around 10.30 the next morning, the local police brought in a man referred to as a black tracker named Sonny Jim, who was skilled in identifying tracks and establishing the manner of death. He followed tracks from Mary's body to a nearby rock pool and then back, suggesting along the way that the murderer had gone to the water to wash Mary's blood from his hands and clothing. He continued following the tracks for almost two miles and ended up in the area where the Funland Carnival had been the previous day. Another tracker named Harry Scott was brought in who came to the same conclusion as Sonny, that the murderer had likely been a member of a Northern, 
of a Northern Australian tribe who had spent time living with white people and likely worked for the fun fair that had come into town. Many locals from the Aboriginal community were interviewed, and eventually, both 27-year-old Rupert Stewart and teenager Alan Moyer were added to the suspect list. They had been running the dart stall at the fun fair and had both gone out drinking during the day. Alan returned late that night and was so intoxicated that he lost consciousness a few times. Rupert, on the other hand, had been arrested around 9.30 p.m. for drinking alcohol, something illegal at the time for all full-blooded Aboriginal people. As a half-caste, Rupert was allowed to drink as long as he showed a certificate of exemption, something he had not renewed at the time and was facing a sentence of 6 to 18 months in jail. But when Mary Haddam went missing, the resources were shifted to her case and Rupert was free to go. When he arrived back at the fair, he and the owners got into a fight over getting 15-year-old Alan drunk. He was fired and the fair packed up and moved to Wyla. Police questioned workers there about what happened the evening of the 20th, including Alan, who said he and Rupert had been out drinking that night, that he had returned to the fun fair at 10 a.m. and left again around 1 p.m. Rupert was picked up the following Monday in connection to Mary's murder, and while he admitted to being drunk that night, he was steadfast that he had nothing to do with the murder. He was taken outside to walk barefoot in the sand, and the two trackers both confirmed that his tracks matched that of the ones found at the beach. With that, Rupert's story changed. A typed-up version of his confession was then given to him, and though he could not read nor write, Rupert signed the only word he knew in English, his name at the bottom of the paper. Rupert Stewart was charged with the murder of Mary Haddam, and his trial began in April of 1959. Unfortunately, Rupert had very little money to his name. Therefore, he was unable to contribute to the cost of his defense. This meant that things like checking his alibi, conducting forensic tests, and consulting expert witnesses were not done as they could not be funded. Therefore, the case relied almost solely on the footprints. Testimony of a taxi driver who said he drove Rupert to the murder scene on the afternoon of the crime, visual comparison to hair found at the scene and Rupert's, and his confession to police. Now, while all of this seems damning, the trial seemed anything but fair. Rupert was unable to make a statement during his trial, as he was unable to read the one prepared for him. And when court officials asked to read it for him, the judge refused. So in court, Rupert said the only broken bit of English he could. He said, I cannot read or write. Never been to school. I did not see the girl. Police hit me, choke me, make me said these words. They say I kill her. The prosecutor claimed his failure to give evidence was proof of guilt, but Rupert had no choice but to refuse to testify. On April 24, 1959, Rupert Stewart was sentenced to death. Almost immediately, appeals for his life began, many of which failed to get any results. Then one day, a Catholic priest named Father Tom Dixon was brought in to speak to Rupert. The only reason it was this particular priest and not the normal prison chaplain was that Father Dixon spoke fluent Arenta. At the end of their conversation, not only was the father convinced that Rupert was innocent, but he was ready to fight to prove it to everyone else. He became the first person to translate Rupert's alibi. 
an alibi that said he had taken the taxi back to a hotel where he paid a woman for sex and that he remained there until he was arrested that night. Rupert was scheduled to be executed on July 7, 1959, and those who believed he was innocent worked fast to try and stall the execution and earn him a new trial. Most of their efforts failed, but they persisted. The media went crazy, and Father Dixon himself questioned the funfair workers who did not appear at the trial. The owners, the one who Rupert fought with the next day, said that Rupert worked at the stall from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m., meaning that when Mary's father returned from fishing to find she was missing around 3.45, Rupert was still at work. He could not have been the girl's abductor, let alone her murderer. The Royal Commission was convened on August of 1959, and on December 3rd, 1959, they shockingly decided that the conviction was justified. Father Dixon wasn't done fighting. He contacted the man who ran the Aborigines Advancement League and, along with university teachers, clergymen, and representatives from the Howard League for Penal Reform, created a campaign to keep Rupert alive. They distributed petitions, ran the facts in a number of papers, and put the case in the forefront of everyone's mind. The case became a dramatic and extremely important case that alerted Australia to the difficulties that the Aboriginal people encountered and how many innocent men and women to death in an unjust justice system. And all their work finally paid off when Rupert Stewart was released on parole in 1973. He had a tough time reacclimating, spending time in and out of jail for breaking his parole provisions, but finally was able to learn to read, to write, acquired valuable work skills, got married, and finally settled down. He was eventually given a job by the Central Land Council where he shared his knowledge of Aboriginal law and tradition, and finally became an Arenta elder, becoming an active figure in Central Australian Aboriginal affairs until his peaceful death on November 21st, 2014. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on November 22nd. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This daily true crime podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching Morning Cup of Murder. I'd love it if you stopped by and said hi. Stay safe. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.